Welcome to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. We're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. Pastor Bob teaches line by line and verse by verse from the Word of God. Now, let's join this week's Sunday Morning Bible Study, already in progress. The first song that we sang was just a short introduction but it reminds us of who Emmanuel originally came for. He came for the Jews and also for the Gentiles. The Jews are called his chosen ones because they were chosen to bring the Savior Redeemer into the world. Other than that, <laughs> there's nothing about them that we would desire them necessarily. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing so much anti-Semitism building up again around the world. Here in this country, even in Germany and France, the countries that, you know, took the worst of the took the worst of World War II. But that first song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, o, and Ransom, Captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here. Now, we don't think about the Jews being in exile here in the United States. They came here willingly, but they're separated from the temple in Jerusalem, which is the centerpiece of their faith. They mourn in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. When He does appear, it tells us in the, book, in the books, they will, they will ask a question. And the question they will ask as their eyes are opened as to who He is, is where did you get those wounds? Zechariah 12 tells us where he got the wounds and when they realize that they and their ancestors gave Jesus those wounds that he suffers with and still has the scars of, they will rend their garments, they will go into mourning, and they will just be blown away that they missed His first coming. And the coming that they're seeing when they see Him is the second coming that was promised. So this, this opening song that we sang is really a, a song of sadness that, that a whole race of people, Jesus' race of people, they missed Him. They missed Him completely. But it won't always be so, because when he shall appear, they shall see him as he is. And that's complete with scars. Upon his second return, he will come in a new physical form, but still yet with the scars, so that the Jews can recognize who it was that they put to death on a cross some 2,000 years ago.
I went through and looked at the music that we had available to sing this morning, and that this group that we sang, it just struck me. We're not quite into the Christmas season, although now that Thanksgiving is behind us, it is the start of the Christmas season. Today being the 27th, we're less than a month away from our celebration of the Lord's first coming. And we're blessed because we're the ones that do know Him and have recognized Him for who He is in the fulfillment of the Scriptures. Now, if you're just joining us for this morning's service online, first of all, we welcome you to the 10 a.m. service of Whitestone Christian Fellowship. It's now, it's now 1045. We fellowshiped and we sang worship songs. And this first song was one that really struck a chord with me while we were singing it. It's a mournful song, but there's one, there's, there's a mourning that gives hope, and there's a mourning that brings sadness. This was a mourning that brings hope. So if you would please uh, join me in our, in our mutual reading. Uh, with Hebrews chapter 8. You can also turn to Jeremiah 31, 31 to 33, and you'll find the, you'll find the same reading. But in Hebrews 8, verses 8 to 10, we read, For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, and after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind, and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be my people. That's a wonderful promise. But it also gives us, it also gives us a timeline for when they will have their eyes opened. Because they didn't regard God's covenant, God didn't regard them. He didn't do anything special to them that He didn't do for the Gentiles also. They chose to live the way they wanted to and, well, it's... <laughs> It's like that old jingle from Burger King, have it your way. Have it your way. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. If we want to live the way we want to, the Lord will let us. But if we want to revere Him, He will send His Holy Spirit. And that's one of the promises in this passage. After those days, He will send His Spirit and their eyes will be opened. 
I guess I'd like to take a moment before we get into our study and look at Zechariah chapter 12. Sorry, we're doing a little flowing this morning. In chapter 12 of Zechariah, in verse 10, it says, And I will pour out, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem, as the mourning of Hadadrimon in the valley of Megiddo during the time of Josiah's uh, kingship. And the land shall mourn, every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi the priestly tribe, and their wives apart, the family of Shimei apart, and their wives apart, all the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. They'll recognize Him at His second coming. And that's the promise that we see still unfulfilled for the Jewish people what we know is that one day they will have their eyes opened. They will have their ears opened. I think it's in Isaiah and in Jeremiah where it speaks of God closing up their eyes and shutting their ears so that they could not hear. And they could not grasp what the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ really was. It's only in it's only in Psalm fifty one fifty one fifty one eleven where David says, Lord, withhold not your Holy Spirit from me. Now there's plenty of references to the Spirit of God throughout the Old Testament. But in that Psalm, David calls that Spirit a Holy Spirit. And indeed, He is a Holy Spirit because He's the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He's the Spirit of the Father as well. In Acts chapter 18, In Acts chapter 18, uh, verses 24 through 19.5, it tells us about Apollos' Apollos's work in Ephesus. And it says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, a little bit north of, uh, north of, uh, of, of 
Ephesus, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures came to Ephesus. And this man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, of knowing your own ways and being aware of your own behaviors and repenting of those things. Stop doing them. But Apollos had no inkling of the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us to repentance, to convict us. And so he was instructed in all the ways of the Lord, but he only knew the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Aquila and Priscilla were a married couple who sat under Paul, who sat under the Scriptures, who learned about the Holy Spirit. And when he was, when Apollos was disposed to pass into Achaia, up into Greece, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him who, when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. And in verse, chapter 19, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that while the apostle was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. And he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. What a sadness that Jesus can be taught and preached without an awareness coming to the listener that there is a Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto, then, unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John variably, variably passed, or baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. That's an exciting moment. An exciting moment. To be baptized in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and to receive the Holy Spirit. Because up until this point, the church at Ephesus, now the last line, verse 7, it says these were about 12 men. 
Those were the leaders of Ephesus. In the Scriptures, it says that if we ask the Lord for the Holy Spirit, He will not withhold the Holy Spirit from us. In fact, He will will graciously give us the Holy Spirit because not only are we professing Jesus Christ, but we're then professing our need for the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one that teaches us. In John chapter 14, John 14, we have that wonderful, that wonderful passage from verse 16 to 20 that reminds us who the Comforter is. Jesus said, I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Comforter that may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but you know Him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. He speaks of his going away. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Christ in spirit form comes to us. That is his Holy Spirit. But if you look up over at verse 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. The Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us. He teaches us all things. If we go over to chapter 15... Verse 26, it says, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. He shall testify of me, Jesus said, and you also shall bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now this is, these are words that he's speaking to the apostles before his ascension. And he told them after he is ascended to hang on and remain in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes. And that happened ten days later on the first Pentecost after the resurrection. And I say the first Pentecost after the resurrection because there were many Pentecosts before the resurrection because it was a Jewish holiday. But now, the Holy Spirit did indeed come upon them. In chapter 16 of John, in verse 13, it says, How be it when He... The Spirit of truth is come. He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself. He will not promote Himself. We have churches that promote just the acts of the Spirit and promote the gifts of the Spirit. And that's good. But it seems that 
Many of them do it to the exclusion of the Father and the Son. So are they worshiping the whole God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Ephesus was not worshiping all of God. They were worshiping the Father and the Son, but not the Holy Spirit. That's a problem because you're not getting the full effect of God in your life. He's there, but not in His full power. That was the problem. That was the trial at Ephesus. That they were not listening to those things that came from the Holy Spirit. Now what does that mean? It means that they were listening with natural ears. Ears that were not yet born again. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, he says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. When someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, the Scriptures take on new life and new meaning. And we're watching this church at Ephesus as they were taught by Apollos. We're watching them work out their own salvation for themselves through the worship of Jesus and the worship of the Father. But they hadn't heard of the Holy Spirit. And so the words that they were listening to had really very little effect on them. They were still doing things under their own strength. It's like, it's like driving your car and having a governor on the accelerator. You can go that speed, but you don't get the full power of the engine that drives it. And dear friends, the Holy Spirit is the engine that drives your faith. He's the one that brings us into full power. And that's one of the things that Paul has been talking about in the previous part of this chapter. The fullness of God. Not just half throttle. Not just half speed. Not just half fast. But the fullness of God's power. So he's been teaching them for a couple of years. And they get it. But after he left, and now he's, now he's in prison in Rome, he hears from the disciples that are ministering to him there that things in Ephesus are not good. And so he writes this whole epistle for their benefit to remind them of the doctrine, to reprove them of their sin. To help them bring conviction to their own souls and to let the Holy Spirit work. He has been instructing them 
and the instruction continues because now that He's got them in mind that the Holy Spirit has been teaching them, if they are indeed in, filled with the Holy Spirit, that this is how a believer lives and behaves. What habits he puts off and what new habits he puts on. So in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. That's the natural man walking in the vanity of their own mind, thinking that they have no accountability to anyone over them or above them. Having the understanding darkened their understanding of the Scriptures, their understanding of Jesus' teachings, their understanding of who Jesus is, and even their concept of the Father and the Son have come to the point where their understanding is darkened like somebody turned a light off. They're running under, under low power again. Don't walk as the other Gentiles walk. They've slipped back into their own habits. They've slipped back into their, own, their old behaviors, back into their comfort zone. They're not being challenged in their faith. And I fear that many, many of the churches in America today and around the world have slipped into that same mode of teaching. They're not challenging the people. The pastors are not pastoring. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. They can't see the forest of the, from the trees. They can't see what's really going on in their own lives. They can quickly judge others. They can quickly see how others are messing up. But they're blinded to their own lack of holiness and righteousness that only comes through the teachings of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that teaches us all things and brings all things to remembrance whatsoever Jesus has told us and taught us. The Holy Spirit is the power behind our growing faith. If we don't know the Holy Spirit, then we don't have a heart to our faith. We've got a mind to our faith, perhaps, but not that heart, that true motivation. because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, <laughs> they're past feeling. They're, they're not feeling their own convictions. They're not feeling the strength of their faith. 
They're not feeling the holy power of the Holy Spirit. Who in time past feeling, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, I don't know how much you remember about the history of Ephesus in Acts 19. But when Paul got into Ephesus, he taught and he taught and he taught. And finally, there was a a fellow who was a, a silversmith. His name was Demetrius. And he came to Paul and he said, in the midst of working the people up, Great, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Diana of the Ephesians was also termed the many-breasted one. She was a goddess of fertility. She was a goddess of sex. The Ephesian culture was overloaded with Diana. And her own temple was a temple of fornication. And the silversmiths that made these little shrines and idols to Diana, they made an awful lot of money from their smithing of silver. And so he would, Demetrius would work up the people against, against the God of Paul, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they would promote Diana. And they worked up the culture so that the culture rebelled against them and said, yeah, that's what we want. We want to get back into those things. All the lascivious behaviors that they had before. And they worked all uncleanness with greediness. Because if you became a believer in Jesus Christ, the silversmiths were out of work. If you became a believer in Jesus Christ, the idols and the shrines to Diana were cast out and the people had no more need of them. The silversmith's whole career was threatened by Jesus Christ and the focal point was the Apostle Paul and this new belief, this new way of believing in God that they hated. And Paul tells them, you're, being, you're, you're past feeling and have given yourselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. That's not what we taught you. That's not what Apollos was teaching you. If so be that you have heard Him and been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. Interesting, Paul says, it's Jesus that's teaching you. It's the Spirit of the Lord that's teaching you. If you've asked for the Holy Spirit, God will fill you with the Holy Spirit. He will not withhold Him from you. And so, if so be, you've heard Him and have been taught by Him, 
as the truth is in Jesus. As Jesus speaks, as his words that have been recorded speak, even as the Redeemer has spoken in the Old Testament, and we have to remember the Old Testament, every one of those books points, points to the Redeemer, Savior, Jesus Christ. The truth is in Jesus. And he says that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, the manner of living. That's your conversation. The old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. See, that's the only thing they were feeling. They weren't feeling the Holy Spirit. They weren't feeling the, the conviction from Him. They weren't feeling motivated to repent. They were feeling instead... the draw the draw back to the deceitful lusts and Paul says and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you have put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness in the garden of Eden Satan tempted be, tempted Eve with the fruit of the forbidden the forbidden fruit of the tree of life. And she opted to be disobedient. And dark darkness came on her soul, just like it has come back to the souls at the church at Ephesus. The spirit had left. If you don't want to listen to my spirit, God says, then you don't want to listen to me. Because the Spirit and the Father and Jesus are one. We serve a holy God. And if we and if we tell God that we want to be more Christ like, then what we're saying is, I want to be more holy. I want to be more righteous than I am. I want to be more loving. I want to be more compassionate. I want to be more gracious. I want to be more forgiving. And that's hard to do when those things in themselves are idols in our hearts. Holding on to anger, it's never a good thing. And Paul says throughout his epistles, multiple times, if you've been forgiven, then you should forgive others the same, to the same degree. And how have we been forgiven as believers? The blood of Christ has washed us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you have put on a new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. 
If we're all members of the body of Christ, then we're all members of one another. We're all part of that body of believers which make up the image of Christ on earth while He is in heaven. Be angry and sin not. You know, if we don't keep our anger in check, we end up sinning against people rather than the one who is making us angry, and that's Satan himself. Be angry, but don't sin towards your brothers. Hold the one accountable that's accountable. What was it that made you angry? Oh, the spirit of pride. That's addressed in Proverbs chapter 6. The spirit of anger. The spirit of unforgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. It doesn't work quite the way the world wants it to work. God says, be loving and kind even to your enemies. If he, th if he thirsts, give him a drink. If he's hungry, give him food. And your enemy knows what kind of a relationship they have with you. They provoke us every time they can. And the Lord says, be kind to them. Supply the things that they need. And He says further, it'll be like heaping coals of fire on their head. It'll drive them crazy. You'll be messing with their mind. You can read that in the bulletin today. <laughs> That's the quote from Romans 12, verse 20. Forgive your enemies. It messes with their heads. <laughs> you, can, you can make light of the anger. And you, make, you can make light of their misdeeds and their hurtfulness towards you. When Jesus got up on that cross, He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They're fulfilling the Scriptures even to the point of their own spiritual death and eternal torment. They have no idea what they're doing. They're clueless. They can't understand God's Word because they don't have the Holy Spirit. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You know, if anger isn't kept in check and we put that before the Lord Jesus immediately as soon as we recognize it, it turns to wrath and it, it is the acting out of the anger towards another person. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communications proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. What's really amazing is 
this is what the church at Ephesus has, has fallen back into. Ignorance of the mind. Lascivious thoughts. Literally sexual thoughts and behaviors. Lying to one another. Being angry with one another. Listening to the devil rather than the Holy Spirit. Stealing from one, one another. He just said in verse 28, Let him that stole steal no more. Work with your hands so that you can provide for yourself and have an abundance that you can give to those that are in need. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your, out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace to the ears. The communication in the church of Ephesus was corrupt. In verse 30, he says, and continuing, he says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. This is important. If we cast off the Holy Spirit, we cast off being sealed unto the day of redemption. If we grieve Him, there will be a price to pay. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking put away from you and put those things away from you with malice, with hatred in your heart towards those things. I don't want to be like that. He says, put it away with all malice. I have evil thoughts towards all of these things. Corrupt communication. Grieving the Holy Spirit. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, which is just a life in uproar. Put those things away from you. And be kind one to another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You want to be more loving? You want to be more Christ-like? Okay? Start by recognizing how much God has forgiven us. And forgive our brothers and sisters. Forgive those that are outside of the body of Christ even. This is all important for the walk of a believer. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And all these new things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, having given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. 
a word of encouragement. A word to let those things be out of our lives and to not take them up again. My wife and I took the back way to church today. There is an aggressiveness on our main highways that can pique our interests and set our mind to wrath. (laughs) The expressways and the major highways are like a racetrack and everybody wants to be first. We took the back way through country roads this morning. I think we drove 10 miles and maybe, maybe even 15 miles and we only encountered two traffic lights. And they were on single lane roads so that nobody was next to you wanting to get the jump on you. We had a lovely, peaceful drive to church this morning. And if that's what we need to do, then sometimes we really just need to choose to take the long way where there's less traffic, prettier scenery, cows in the field, the deer roaming in the, in the fields in the distance. And we can recognize this time of year how much peace there is on the road because all of the hunters are parked in the fields with their shotguns trying to kill the deer. Let them have the wrath. Give me the peace on the highway. Heavenly Father, we dearly desire Your peace in our lives. Lord, help us to recognize those near occasions of sin when anger can raise up quickly. Lord, help us to take the back roads, the slower roads. Help us to take the peaceful roads. Choose. Choose those avenues of peace in your life for every situation. There's no room for competition in God's kingdom because we are all one in the body of Christ. We are all with Him. We are all part of Him. And even as it told us in the beginning of this chapter, the gifts of the Spirit, each is given a different gift of the Spirit, sometimes severally according to Corinthians, according to His will. But each gift and each person with it is neatly fit into the body of Christ where we are all one. And when all of the body is functioning as it is supposed to, there is unity in purpose, unity in love, unity in forgiveness, and adoration for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we're to look at life. Choose peace. Choose forgiveness. And don't let the competition drag you down. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. We thank you for this word this morning. We thank you for this reminder of 
how important the Holy Spirit is in our lives and how important He is to our faith as we grow into greater depths and higher heights and broader widths in our walk with You. Lord, help us. And we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. From Psalm 67, verses 1 and 3. Now here's where you take the peace with you. God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us that Thy way may be known upon earth and Thy saving health among all nations. We drove into a, a different church just to kind of drop some stuff off this last week for the for the children's Christmas box program. And on our way out, uh, there's a big rock next to the driveway. And this on the on the face of the rock, facing inward towards people that are exiting, is engraved. And I've only seen this on two churches. You are now entering your mission field. You leave the church, you see this sign, it says, when you get out on the highway, you're now entering your mission field. Be that missionary. Be that evangelist. Be that one who forgives and loves. God bless you and have a great, great week as we move closer and closer to the celebration of our Lord's birth coming in a month. Have a wonderful week. Be blessed and be thankful every day. Thank you for listening to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. To access the list of teachings or to check the archives for Pastor Bob's weekly observations column, log on to whitestonecf.com. There you can also check the weekly schedule and any upcoming events. To contact us or to drop a note to Pastor Bob, you can email us at whitestonecf at gmail.com or call us at 585-924-8820. Whitestone Christian Fellowship is a non-denominational congregation. Every Sunday, Pastor Bob walks us through the Bible, teaching line upon line and verse by verse. And we're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. And if you're in the area, we invite you to visit us. From upstate New York, Pastor Bob encourages all of us to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. Until next time, remember that Jesus is our victor. Stay close to Him.